Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And it includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Maya Sargent. And I'm Taylor Massetta. Let's find out the latest news near you. Today is World Water Day. And in New York, the UN is honoring this day with the start of their water conference. The three-day event raises awareness about water shortages and will focus on global water and sanitation issues, concerns that are shared by New Yorkers. Lawmakers are pushing a bill that requires facilities to be transparent about PFAS pollution in the city's water supply. PFAS is a toxic substance, often known as a forever chemical, that is difficult to clean up. The chemical is found in many household items, including non-stick pans, popcorn bags, and cleaning products. It's been linked to increased risks of cancer, liver damage, infertility, and asthma. These products are often disposed of in Seneca Meadows, New York's largest landfill. That means there's a potential for PFAS to wind up in the water supply and eventually our tap water. The proposed legislation by Assemblymember Kellis and Senator May would require facilities to monitor the water supply and keep drinking water safe. Also, New York's water systems will be receiving an upgrade. City officials are establishing 14 miles of brand new water mains and sewers. Many of these mains are receiving an update after being installed over a century ago. This is part of a multi-million dollar improvement to the city's water supply and infrastructure. In the same upgrade, New York City will be receiving new super sidewalks. The new sidewalks will tackle heavy pedestrian traffic on 9th Avenue. Yating Lu, the chief public realm officer, says this will create safer spaces for people to walk, bike, and visit local businesses. Today, the New York City Council held a preliminary budget hearing for the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation. WFUV's Grace Galbraith has more. Today, the New York City Council held the Department of Parks and Recreation's preliminary budget hearings for the next financial year. As it stands, the department is looking at an almost $42 million decrease in funds. During the public testimonies, people stood up and expressed how important New York City's parks are to them, including a fifth grader from Samara Community School in the Bronx. We cannot accept a cut to the city parks budget. We need as much money as we can get to improve parks in our neighborhood let alone across the city. Department of Parks and Recreation Chair Shaker Krishnan said that the department will work to ensure New York City parks have the resources, services, and the funding that they need to thrive. Krishnan emphasized that children are the future and that the Department of Parks and Recreation will continue to fight for increased funding. Following today's hearing, the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation will formally respond to Mayor Adams' preliminary budget and await his updated proposal. For WFUV News, I'm Grace Galbraith. Today marks the first day of Ramadan. Muslims all around the world will observe fasting from sunrise to sunset. The holiest month in the Muslim calendar runs through April 21st. The next generation of dance is taking on New York City. Ailey 2 is a ballet troupe of both emerging dancers and choreographers. The troupe will perform two programs this year in the city. Poetic Motion examines the creative processes behind writing poetry, and Empowered seeks to leave audiences at the edge of their seats. Ailey 2 performs at the Ailey City Group Theatre starting tonight through April 2nd. The Affordable Art Fair is back in New York City for another year. 
The fair showcases contemporary artworks from local, national, and international galleries. You can meet some of the artists themselves at the exhibit, and if you want to bring one of their pieces home, prices range from $100 to $12,000. The affordable art fair is found at the Metropolitan Pavilion in Chelsea starting today. It'll be there until March 26th. Lollapalooza just announced its highly anticipated 2023 lineup. Kendrick Lamar, Billie Eilish, Lana Del Rey, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers will headline the event. The 1975, Odessa, Carol G, and Tomorrow by Together will also make appearances. Tomorrow by Together makes history as the first K-pop band to headline Lollapalooza. The music festival will run from August 3rd to August 6th in Chicago's Grant Park. The World Baseball Classic wrapped up last night with Japan taking down the United States 3-2. The game produced a dream matchup between pitcher Shohei Otani and center fielder Mike Trout in the ninth inning. They're both teammates on the Los Angeles Angels, and one was going home with that trophy. Otani struck out Trout to seal the deal for the Japanese. The World Baseball Classic returns in 2026. And in some light entertainment history for you, Today, in 1984, Queen began filming their music video for their iconic song, I Want to Break Free. I want to break free. I want to break free. The video features the band members dressed in drag, a move that sparked controversy in the US. The video was originally banned by MTV. Also in 1963, today marks the UK release of the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me. In honor of Women's History Month, WFUV will be featuring a series of stories that explore complex women's health issues. National Women's and Girls HIV and AIDS Awareness Day is recognized in March each year. But for organizations who focus on supporting women with HIV and AIDS, the work takes more than just a single day. The Iris House in Harlem is an agency that offers support, prevention, and educational services to women affected by HIV and AIDS. For the first part of her series on HIV and AIDS awareness, WFEV's Leah Mallory speaks with the executive director of the Iris House and women who have been helped by the agency. There are more than one million people in the United States living with HIV, and more than 250,000 of them are women. However, women living with HIV are often upstaged by their male counterparts. Women of color, black women in particular, make up the largest demographic of women living with HIV. There are many challenges women face when it comes to receiving proper information on HIV and treatment services. But the Iris House in Harlem is changing the way HIV is handled. The Iris House is an agency that offers preventative, health, and educational services to women, families, and underserved communities affected by HIV and AIDS in New York. For Executive Director Ingrid Floyd, the Iris House is unique because it is the first of its kind. We are one of the country's few organizations and first organizations formed to focus on women who are living with HIV. And we were formed at a time when there wasn't much of a focus on women as people were more focused on gay men who were becoming infected with HIV. The Iris House offers a range of services, from emotional and mental health resources to food and to housing, all to help women better handle their HIV diagnosis. 
Floyd says that having these services on demand leads to better health outcomes. She uses housing as an example. They're able to live in our housing, have a stable stable place to stay, and we definitely know that when people are stably housed, again, they're able to better focus on making better decisions, better judgment, because that's one less thing that, as a woman, you have to worry about. Floyd says their services aim to help clients reach an undetectable viral load. This is when there is a low amount of the HIV virus in the blood, to the point where it's almost undetectable. This viral load only decreases if clients are on medication and can only be tracked by frequent testing. Floyd says that the Iris House has an over 80% viral suppression rate. She says that this is largely due to their emphasis on medical support. We know that people who are undetectable are unable to transmit the virus. And how we do that is that we make sure that clients are one, connected to medical care. So a big part of our work is making sure that we meet with their doctors, we meet with their providers, and then we also want to make sure that they have kind of those other needs met. And again, whether those be food, whether those be housing, substance use services, mental health services. Floyd says that the environment at the Iris House is warm, welcoming, and supportive. You know, we greet each other like a family, and and what that does is there's more accountability to your family than there are to others. So our clients are very accountable to us, and we are accountable to them in making sure that they can reach the goals that they've set for themselves. Lucille Grant, a client at the Iris House, can attest to this. She says that after finding the Iris House, she finally felt like she fit in. I met people that I look like, you know, and I was surprised. I'm like, wow, you know, there are other people that I fit in the category with them. And they were very inviting. When Grant first learned her diagnosis years ago, she was angry. She said confronting the HIV virus felt like an impossible battle. At first I was questioning if I could do that, if I had enough strength to be shackled to a pill bottle for the rest of my life. Grant started looking for treatment facilities, but found most of them to be uninviting and unrelatable. You know, they were dark, dreary-looking, like, little closet spaces. And if you are not in a good mindset and then you go into some place like those places where it's dreary and and dark-looking, that just depressed you more. But the Iris House is where Grant found her sense of belonging. It made me more comfortable and it made me realize that there were other people like me and then there were other people that were in a worse off situation than I was. So I could stop feeling sorry for myself. But even having found a safe space, Grant says she has dealt with ignorance throughout her diagnosis. I've been around some really nice people. And then I've also been around some people that are ignorant. And even though they know the science behind it and the fact that, oh, you can't get it from drinking out of a glass or you can't get it from eating out the plate or me touching something or things like that. And even though they know it, they still have this mindset that, oh, you like contaminated. They have to stay away from you. She says the reason for this ignorance is because of stigma surrounding HIV as well as false conceptions about HIV and AIDS. And they need to stop pushing this narrative that it's only like in the gay community or you have to be on drugs to be infected or you had to be a loose or immoral person and that's why you became positive. And that's contrary to the fact because I'm none of those. 
Floyd, the executive director, says the best way to stop the stigma is to talk about it. It's one of those things that we don't often talk about and we don't talk about enough because for some reason we think that it's gone away. It definitely has not gone away. It's important for people to get regular HIV tests, to, to normalize HIV testing. Let's also destigmatize it by comforting and being there for people who are living with HIV so they don't feel that they are being stigmatized because they're someone living with HIV. Floyd says that women must be included in the fight against HIV. There's a lot more that has to happen in order for that to happen, and a part of that is we have to make sure women are part of the solution and making sure that we continue to raise the voices of women who are living with HIV as well as women who are allies and advocates in this work. There is no doubt that HIV is a difficult diagnosis, but the Iris House is showing women that they can still lead a complete and fulfilling life. What would you say to women who also have HIV AIDS and are struggling with their diagnosis? Me personally, I have this mantra to myself and I say it to myself. I treat HIV as three letters in the alphabet. I'm not going to be scared of it. I'm not going to let it rule my life. I have HIV, but HIV doesn't have me. Grant's mantra is a testimony to the manageable nature of HIV and the determined attitudes of those who have been diagnosed. What once was a death sentence is now a manageable chronic condition with proper medication. The Iris House is helping women to do this day in and day out. To learn more about the Iris House, you can go to their website at irishouse.org. For more information about how HIV and AIDS is impacting women, listen to part two of the story next week when I will be talking to Dr. Stella Sappho and Jackie Kilmer about the medical side of HIV and how medical professionals are confronting the disease and stigma. With WFUV News, I'm Leah Mallory. That was WFUV's Leah Mallory talking about the Iris House in New York City and their work to help women affected by HIV and AIDS. You can listen to part two of this two-part series about women in New York City with HIV and AIDS next Wednesday, March 29th. And that's our show for today. I'm Taylor Massetta. And I'm Maya Sargent. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.